folks, welcome back to Bondpilled. It's it's been a while. Uh, it's been about six weeks almost. It's been about six weeks. This is a big episode um, for many reasons. I mean, this is the first you know I guess trial and error distance long distance recorded podcast uh, episode that we've ever done. Yeah. So like this this is going to be uh, I don't I mean I'm saying this right now. Hopefully it works out. Yeah. When this comes out, it maybe like there'll be work. yeah maybe there'll be hitches. But I, I think so far it's going pretty smoothly. I, I was really worried this morning trying to get my uh, my audio set up, but. Um, YouTube is is a uh, whole there's a whole host of uh, sort of instructional yeah, videos on, on there. Now. Yeah, yeah. So this is great. So I'm, I yeah I'm running my shit. I have a focus rate with a, a sulfuric cautery sticker on it, and I, I'm running. I have an SM50 hyperground. <laughs> yeah. your way yeah. to bond bliss, baby. Yeah, I have. A, shout outs to sulfuric cautery uh, who have a new album that was announced. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm I have an SM57 that I'm speaking into, and I'm next episode I'll run it through a Digitech death metal pedal and we'll see how that turns oh, that'd out be perfect. if you could yeah. get multiples then it would be even better yeah so I, I had two microphones plugged in earlier actually i was trying to get like a surround sound thing going effect, on but i, I can't yeah. i can't figure out how to get both i should probably just have both channels recording at the same time another time oh you only really need one channel exactly but yeah so this episode is also big because this is the it's end our first cross canada episode cross canada this is the fucking cross-country podcast this is the lo- final episode of season one of bond pill we've made it our final matchup in the tournament's first round yep we're making it through the third round first round (laughs) today today and i figured like first of three rounds right or is there more rounds folks you have four more seasons to look forward to after this first season of bond pilled um all of them are much shorter than this season yes (laughs) this is like a round This is around our anniversary too, I think. Like we we recorded, this is actually very close. Yeah, because I remember we recorded late October last year with them. One of us had a mask on because you were like getting over a cold, and then after recording, yeah. we watched Antichrist. Oh, what? did we do that our first episode? We watched Antichrist. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Wow, wow. we should have kept that going and just watched a Lars von Trier movie after every single episode. Yeah, yeah. Pilled. I mean, I don't think there are enough. Yeah, well, you can just keep rewatching them like we're doing with the Bond movies. Yeah, and no, then we, we really we, go. You know, that, that's the next. That's the next one. We're gonna watch all the Von Trier movies and put it into a, Von Trier a bracket. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, yeah, it's a big moment for us. I guess we're getting through first round of the podcast, first cross country one. Uh, it's taken us a long time to do this episode because I've been living in an empty apartment <laughs> without any of my belongings. I'm still living in an empty apartment without any of my belongings, and I didn't have internet for a couple weeks. So we've kind of been off. It's actually been a really nice break to have. I found I've been watching a bunch of stuff and reading a bunch of yeah. stuff that's not Bond related, and um, that may be against the purpose of the podcast. And so we're kind of screwing that up in a way yeah but, i mean uh, it was nice maybe with our new setup we'll just like increase the madness now and just like really like enter a new level of punishment this is yeah, like right. this, there's like hellraiser stuff going on but the, you know it's just the, yeah, there's the, just like nails being slammed into my skull yeah no we, we are like cenobites I'm, but of just showing yeah. bond movies uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this is, yeah, big, big moment. Uh, also, like, you know, just for the folks out there, too, like, the, the, you know, the, this is kind of this labor of love, I guess, this podcast. So, like, I think, you know, anytime there's sort of some big life event happening, you know, there, there's uh, that kind of takes priority because no one's paying us to do this. We're just we're doing this. Yeah, right. Like, we're not, you know, yeah, we ha- we're not putting any ads on here to make money. We're not doing Patreon to, like, give you access to anything. Yeah, this is just us doing this. So of course we're actually we're actually we're gonna do for season two we're gonna roll out the pods only fans though and we're gonna each do a dick reveal. Um. <laughs> oh yes, 
We're gonna do a Potter's dick reveal. Um, Potter's dick reveal. Or taint reveal. Well, taints if you, it depends on which tier of the Patreon you're in. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just in the, like, the, the first tier, of course, you only get the dick. If you're in the higher tier, maybe like uh, like the commander's tier, because you know Bond's a commander. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're in the commander's tier, or the double O tier, maybe, then you, if you're a double O, you, then you get to see some taint. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the meat of the, this final episode, I figured we'd just do a little uh, a little impromptu uh, retrospective on on the first season, and just, uh, yeah. I don't know, like, what, what, was, what was, you know, because for me, I know you've watched all these, like, like pretty recently we've, we've said this like a hundred times like i'm re-watching a lot of these for the first time in like well over a decade um some right, of where have i rewatched 20 all, years like, like i haven't even seen you know which is pretty crazy to think because i'm not i'm not that old but yeah a lot of the shit i haven't seen in like 20 20 years probably so yeah like what what yeah i don't know if i had to think about it like some of the high points for me would definitely be i think uh watching Car- casino royale 67 and putting that up against from russia with love was a fun episode for me yeah and i, th- I think uh, like th- that's definitely like one of the like if i wish things had gone another way like i you know i wish that had been up against i i, yeah, I casino also royale like, had been against like a view to a kill or something yeah I, great. I also like i i keep going back to and i know that that the uh, the bloke that sent us the email mentioned this Kyle. yeah yeah but i keep I keep going back to the fucking man with the golden gun specter episode in my head and just like i i like i still what a fucked up episode <laughs> but why the fuck did that happen but and it, but the thing is like i can't find like i'm, I'm just like yeah the man with the golden gun's horrible why the fuck did that happen but then i think about specter i'm just like man like i don't know <laughs> yeah right it's a bit of a it's long it's a slog it looks yeah. really bad yeah i don't know it's hard to say i will say another episode i really enjoyed though was the um original the 1954 television because Casino Royale, pretty much both the Casino Royale episodes. I think those are high points for me. Yeah, I think that w- that was definitely, it was fun seeing the 50s TV version, because that's something that I've heard about for years, but, like, I think this is, like, the only incentive anyone will, will have yeah, to watch it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, live on television, theatrical, Bond. Yeah. No I, other reason to watch it. Have unless you, it came, like, they, unless they restored it. I would love to see a restored version. But, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. like, the uh, deleted scenes or whatever, and, uh... Deleted scenes, like the original color broadcast and everything, yeah. that'd be cool to see. Yeah, they should they should do one of those like weird colorized early like when people were like colorizing black and white films in the early DVD age. Oh yeah, that should rock. <laughs> yeah. They should do one of those. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have a copy of It's Underwater for Life somewhere where there's like a an extra disc that's the colorized version. Yeah, there I mean I remember like because it's public access I mean, yeah, it's public access or public domain rather, but Night of the Living Dead, I remember like uh, in the in the aughts there was like a DVD release that was like a colorized version of that which just i think oh really like kills a lot of the vibe of that film probably <laughs> yeah absolutely like it's a, like it's a little more eerie than it would be otherwise because it is in black and white yeah so speaking speaking of uh night of the living dead too have you it's it's spooktober um have you watched any spooktober films or uh maybe one i watched oh yeah yeah i watched arthur lubin's phantom of the opera from 1943 okay tight uh really beautiful film that's about the most it has going for it. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. There is like I, I I'm leeching off of a, a mutual friend's uh, Criterion channel as of yesterday, and they have like the big '80s horror thing on there, and they have like a vampire yeah. uh, collection. So I'm, I'm hopefully by the end of the month, I'm gonna like work through some of those. But yeah, I watched. Uh, nice. I think the first yeah, Layer of the White Worm. I watched last night, and earlier in the month I watched Zodiac. I figured that was sort of like a nice, some nice good spooky uh 
serial killer vibes for, <laughs> for the month of October. Other than like that just awful Dahmer series too. I watched that one that dropped. Oh was, yeah, well. That was pretty bad. You, um, but I was asking for it, you know. I mean, anyone out watching it is probably asking for it. You know, who is a spooky killer in uh, some ways would be Timothy Dalton, the first Dark Bond. So yeah, I get, we haven't spoke, spoken about what we're... Yeah, so t- today we're, we're looking at uh, 87's um, The Living Daylights and 2007? 2009. 2009? Out in 2009. Okay, yeah. Quantum of Soul is probably the worst title for a bomb. Oh, no, sorry, 2008. 2008, okay. Not 2008. Yeah, you said the worst Daniel Craig or... The worst title for a Bond film. Oh, yeah. Well, no, actually, no, it, it's, it makes sense. I don't know. It's I guess because, yeah, there's title. like the pre-Spectre organization is called Quantum of Solace or whatever. Well, the name of the organization is Quantum. So like oh, the, okay. the name of the film, um, and I can get into this actually when we talk about the film, but basically the name <laughs> of the film is just like a reference to like the emotional piece that Daniel Craig finds at the end of it. He finds his own Quantum of Solace oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. this film, in his story and his journey of coming to terms with Vesper's death or whatever. So it's a bit of a corner melodramatic name but it's an okay name when you think about it that way it doesn't really I never knew that until like this week I figured it out finally <laughs> yeah I, I always had no clue what this name was about but that that kind of makes that makes sense I so I saw it in theaters when it came out this was my first time you know whatever anyways we'll, we'll get into this uh, so I guess we usually yeah, kind of start so do living daylights first yeah we usually kind of start chronologically so we'll we'll hit that up I I'm assuming you have a lot of production notes I will I'll, I'll do a little introduction, yeah, I'll though. Just... So, yeah, Living Daylights, uh, 1987, as we mentioned. Still a broccoli film. He's still alive. Struck by... final, <laughs> final legs. Yeah. Know, just, like, about to collapse <laughs> into nothingness. <laughs> and, it, and, and it's, yeah, so it, it's co-produced, too, by Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, who obviously, like, now right. helm the thing. The the big, the big, big Bond uh, or company. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a big, big Bond. Yeah. Uh, this no one's gonna get that joke except. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, that's that's a deep cut right there. It's a deep cut from our our personal shared experience that we had. Um, so yeah, John John Glenn's the director. The fucking Once again, yeah, the broccoli company man. Turn- yeah, this is like the <laughs> '80s Bondman. Uh, this is the first of two Timothy Dalton Bonds. It's also starring Mariam Dabo, uh, Joe Don Baker, who from the the, the Brosnan films comes up. Uh, Art Malik, Jerome. Krabby and uh, Krabby maybe and yeah uh, from uh, the fugitive yeah and our a pod favorite John John Reese Davies uh, Gimli and Gimli himself Sally yeah. Sally from uh, the Indiana Jones trilogy <laughs> or quadrilogy <laughs> no he's only in the three films but or no he's only in two of the three films yeah he's not in all he's not in um, Last Crusade is he no but yeah sort of the the ethnic Welshman who sort of is able to play any ethnicity including a dwarf he's sort of like the the Maori actor Cliff Curtis who has played like every ethnicity under the sun but most notably like he, he's he plays a lot of like Hispanic guys and like gangster films from like the, the early 2000s that's well he looks so weird in this film too because his hair is just like like the, he's like a high contrast person just naturally because of his fucking like weird dark hair in this yeah I so I uh, in just... in the bond lore I always get him confused with I by the way we should mention this because we someone from the Valentin Zukovsky yeah so I always confuse him with Valentin Zukovsky and you know I almost ups, just said that a minute ago yeah big ups to to Robbie who uh, departed part of this world this week uh, we lost one yeah, of our what, bond folks was it yesterday or two days ago I think it was like two days ago but you know yeah rest in power 
power to Robbie Coltrane. Um, yeah, uh, he. Uh, I know he's been in some hot water in the press because apparently he's backing up like you know J.K. Rowling's terrible opinions on trans people. Uh, but otherwise, you know, he's gone now, uh, and he was always like pro labor, Scottish independence guy. So yeah, he might have had a bit of checkered opinions, but good on some areas. And people are gonna, you know, I know a lot of people are gonna remember him as Hagrid and stuff. But we on this podcast, or I personally, you know, remember him as uh, Zukovsky, and he's got a bit role in European Vacation. I think. <laughs> uh, which what is this bit? I fucking love the the Eric Idle bit part in that film. No, th- this is this is the bit when like. Uh, Chevy Chase's wife is I, I don't know if she, I'm, it must, she must be played by Beverly D, maybe she's not May, maybe Doesn't Beverly D'Angelo <laughs> I, I forget but um yeah the, the matriarch of the vacation family is uh it's a joke about like European hotels having like shared bathrooms and she's having the shower oh. and then like Robbie Coltrane comes in to like brush his like teeth or something while she's his having teeth, the shower yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, man. That's that's a trip. Okay. Yeah. Um. Some just some other production notes. Uh, editors were John Grover and Peter Davies. The writers were Dick Maybaum once again, and actually Michael G. Wilson helped write some of this as well. Um. That's actually. I wonder if that has to do anything with like a, a writer strike or something. If Michael G. Wilson was help writing, I'm not sure. But uh, Peter Lamont once again, the production designer. The compose uh, compositions were by. John Barry. Jonathan Barry. And yeah, the man himself, once again, coming back. Although this soundtrack is very 80s for a John Barry soundtrack, in my opinion. Uh, it was a bit weird to me. I actually thought the soundtrack was pretty bad for this film. Oh yeah, there's there's uh, the there's title, a couple of moments in it that I was just like, what the fuck is happening with the music? Like it was yeah, so what, what is off the color. <laughs> like and, you have like a happy like '80s dance beat while there's like a shootout happening. It's like yeah. okay, that's really undermining everything here. And then um, the final thing I wanted to note was the theme song for the film is by Aha, which is why it's really bad. I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a really bad theme song. Um, it's like the music is just a no go for this whole film, in my opinion, which is a bummer because otherwise I think this movie's not that bad yeah so let's uh yeah we'll get into the plot a bit um so film opens with you know our boy our boy james well there's so i i started watching this like weeks ago and then just finished it this weekend so the the opening sequence if i recall is sort of like this weird thing that's not connected to the rest of the film right where he like uh no not at all yeah it's just um timothy dalton being introduced through a skydiving sequence. I guess it was a... I don't know why they... Maybe they thought it was like, you know, oh, we're delaying seeing his face again. Like we saw... Well, yeah, because isn't it like a training... Isn't it like a training exercise that like... It is a training exercise. That ends up being like infiltrated by like an assassin. It gets infiltrated by... uh, Yeah, by an assassin who's a part of Joe Don Baker. Whitaker is the guy's name. uh, Whitaker's organization. Because he he drops down the thing on the line that says on it, smear spionum. Oh, right, right, right. when When he cuts the line of the other double O agent who's training with Dalton and he yeah. falls off the cliff and then Dalton finds that dead guy and he also I think finds the lot the note that says smear okay yeah, yeah. all right so um, uh, Apollo that is my like slip and I, I have now that ties into the rest of the plot because like, I yeah, watched but like, like but the thing is <laughs> you don't actually see the piece of paper that he wrote it on I think okay for a while or something I don't know yeah I can't remember so yeah I mean that's it folks that's what happens when you watch a movie over the course of like multiple weeks watching the first 20 minutes uh several weeks prior to watching the rest of the film. But here we are. I got the rest of the plot, at least. Uh, So yeah, Bond, (laughs) the film opens, you know, Bond is in Czechoslovakia trying to help this KGB general who is uh, defecting 
Um, he's trying to escape. Help General him. Koskov. Yeah, General Koskov. Georgi Koskov. He's trying to help him escape uh, from this concert hall and then get him across the border out of the out of the Czechoslovakia and uh, get him to defect. Um, but, uh, you know, we get another, like, Timothy. I was, shit, I was about to say Daniel Day-Lewis. That's really fucked up. We get another uh, <laughs> Timothy Dalton sniping scene. which With a really insane, like, fucked up looking rifle. Yeah, yeah. But this is like, I, I don't know. I was watching it. I was like, didn't we see this scene, like, a few months ago? in like license to kill where he's got well he's got the camera that's a sniper rifle basically yeah but with like another guy over him too just like does he in the yeah yeah because he's got the other agent right maybe not i might be right yeah he does have the the asian agent yeah who ends up getting killed yeah it is a similar scene i don't remember exactly (laughs) but it is a similar scene anyway so so bond uh notices that there is a kgb sniper who is uh going to whack koskov but it's a beautiful woman Lovely girl with a cello. Forget the ladies for once, Bond. And Bond just, like, can't bring himself to kill this other sniper because she's a beautiful woman. Yeah. So he shoots the gun out of her hands and, I guess, almost jeopardizes the operation, but gets Koskov the hell out of Czechoslovakia and back to London or back to England or whatever, and they, they, they debrief. Um, shortly after, though, Koskov is, like, re-stolen or allegedly re-stolen by the KGB. Bond by Necros is, is his name. So the Bond, main henchman of the film. <laughs> I just, I, he lo- I just assumed he was, like, Julian Sands for like most dude of the he time. looks exactly like Julian Sands especially have you seen the film Warlock because no, he's costumed exactly but, like Julian okay. Sands in Warlock yeah, no, but it's he, like 100% the whole film I was like what the fuck like how is this not Julian Sands? I know his face like I had to go on because I was like I'm pretty sure it isn't but I had to like look it up because I was like this guy's face looks exactly like not that he's just like a tall guy with like slicked blonde hair but like no he, he has like a he's real, got similar features yeah Julian yeah. Sands face but yeah so Koskov gets stolen back you know Bond is tasked with uh, trying to get him back but he's still fucking hung up on this beautiful woman that he saw and he, he feels like the and the beautiful woman thing is really funny to me it's like the, if to me if, if anything the, the cue that she's not really an assassin would not be that she's a beautiful woman but that she's using like a fucking 70 year old hunting rifle to try to kill yeah. a general yeah <laughs> like why would the KGB do that <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. When, yeah, in, in 1987, she's using, like, a Moisin Nagrant or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, something built in, like, 1890. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, he's, he just has a hunch, I guess. But And luckily for him, like, she ends up being uh, sort of uh, integral uh, integral to uncovering, you know, what's happening with Koskov. Bond, yeah. you know, I guess against his direct orders, is just like, damn, like, gotta go for this beautiful woman. Finds her. Another, like, awful thing where, like, half the film, he kind of like pretends to be someone else and just like torments her through that. Yeah, just like way. carries her around from city to city being like, we'll get to Koskov, we'll get to Koskov. And yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's pretty fucking, yeah, because he's posing as like Koskov's friend, but just like trying to like extract information from her and just like leading her on throughout the film by just being like, yeah, like I'm going to bring you to Koskov because she's, he finds out that she's his girlfriend. It was a setup because there were blank bullets in the rifle and she was, exactly. uh, she was set up to just make it look like his defection was, uh, was real, was real, of, you know, so yeah, completely but, fabricated as part of what operation. Yeah, so, you know, through this, Bond finds out that Koskov is actually just, like, chilling in Tangiers with uh, Jodon Baker, who is a sort of military wannabe American arms dealer who just, like, wishes... He's one of those, like, cops that becomes a security guard, but in this case, he's, like, some guy that yeah. just, like, really wanted to be, like, fucking Douglas MacArthur or something, or, like, George No, he really Patton. wanted to be, like, <laughs> or Napoleon. Yeah, but just ended up being, like, a fucking arms dealer or whatever. Or, uh, um, what is it, Ulysses Grant... 
because uh, yeah, yeah, he he was a dropout of West Point. West Point, he cheated yeah. and got kicked out basically of West Point, and then decided to become an arms dealer instead. Yeah. And he walks around wearing a military uniform as if he actually is an officer or a general yeah. or something. And so after 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 Bond like uncovers uh, sort of what's been happening, and uh, you know he 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 tracks down uh, Pushkin, who is uh, allegedly the new guy or the the new leader of the KGB, who allegedly was like this was part of Koskov's cover where they're just like yeah like this guy's too radical and he's like you know I'm defecting because he's like trying to kill all the all the fucking they're trying to bring back the uh, killing all the spies thing and that's like the the smear yeah from Stalin's times the Berea operation yeah Bond gets in touch with Pushkin and like confirms his suspicions about like this whole Koskov thing and then fakes and then they work together kind of they work together where he like fakes an assassination of Pushkin where he like shoots blood packs on him while he's wearing like a bulletproof vest at like some speech yeah because that because that will fool Whitaker and Koskov into thinking that Bond bought their bait. That, and that so they're, they're, kind of buys, buys Bond more time to investigate. So yeah, Koskov ends up using sort of, I guess, his charm with his uh, his still girlfriend, uh, the Bond girl in this film, uh, played by Mariam. Kara Malovi. Kara Malovi, yeah. Sorry, I blanked on her name there for a second. Yeah, no, he, he uses his like still influence on her, get her to drug Bond by making him like a, a martini or whatever. But then obviously, you know, being a shithead, Koskov double crosses her. They both end up at a Soviet airbase in, in Afghanistan, Afghanistan <laughs> where we, we get into a very... This is the worst part of the film, in my opinion, and not yeah. just because of the politics. Yeah, no, we get into really... I mean, there's some interesting political stuff going on in both films that we'll uh, we'll talk about. Um, I'd, I'd say the, the politics in, in uh, the film that we're going to talk about later are quite interesting, actually. Uh, in this one, they're just like obviously like really standard like Cold War stuff. The Mujahideen yeah, they end up at a Soviet airbase. The Soviets are bad. <laughs> they end up at a Soviet airbase in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, where they escape. Bond links up with the heroic Mujahideen. <laughs> like like many of these late 80s <laughs> like Western action films. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bond. Bond takes up, he becomes a strict follower of Sharia law. Uh, Miriam Dabo starts wearing the burqa. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's, they, they link up <laughs> with these like Mujahideen guys and like, uh, I don't know, I was, I was just like oh, laughing oh. the whole time because like Miriam Dabo just like, they're like. Um, Osama's yeah, there. Yeah, Osama's there, but like, um, <laughs> you know, she's just like chilling and it's like, man, these guys would just immediately like rapper head to toe like in real life like yeah right like the mujahideen yeah yeah for real dude um, uh, no, it's very funny to watch, like, the Mujahideen portrayed as this, like, oh, no, these are just, like, homies who hang out and work for this British guy, basically. Yeah, this Oxford uh, and sure, they do a bit of drug trading. Yeah, so, you know, Bond uses the, the Mujahideen, like, selling heroin <laughs> to the Soviets, and that that's basically, like, part of the whole plan, where he realizes that, like, this uh, this arms dealer, Whitaker, is just, like, getting these, uh, getting this payment to buy a bunch of shit for the Russians, but before he, like, gets them the weapons, he's fucking giving their money he's buying op- like raw opium with the money to, like turn it around and make more money and then like buy the weapons and sell it back to the russians but yeah he's got like I, a, this big, is all, like, a big syndicate apart. going here arms and drugs yeah this is all falling apart when pushkin you know like and all that shit's revealed and uh bond base you know they team up with the mujahideen they fucking rare raid the soviet airbase uh steal a plane steal a plane blow up all the heroin they throw necros out of the back of the plane and a really, really good scene, but that's like unfortunately located within the worst part of the film. 
Yeah, yeah, no, the, the part of the film that just, like, starts to, it's when you start to feel, like, the two-hour and ten-minute runtime. Starts it. to drag, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It totally starts to drag. Uh, and no, this is, it's like, because this scene where Necros and Bond fight in the plane, it's like a really, really great action set piece, and where they're, like, both hanging out of the back of this plane, holding onto this bag that's, like, connected to the inside of the plane with the, you know, cargo moorings or whatever, and uh, there's a point where Necros is holding on to like, Bond's boot, and it's the only thing he has his hand on, and James Bond just, like, reaches down with a knife and cuts his own shoelaces off, and Necros just falls out of the back of the plane, like, thousands and thousands of feet. And it looks really good, because they shot it in studio. They basically built the back end of the, paint, the plane. Um, Peter Lamont, the production designer, had the crew build the backside of a plane, like, to spec in the studio, and they shot it as a stunt in studio um, with, like, composites and shit. Yeah. So all the close-ups look really good, because it's an actual model of a plane they're hanging out of. No, it's it, that was a that was tight. That was a tight shot. Um, it was good good one liner after where he gives him the boot. Uh, <laughs> that was a good one. That was one of the few ones. Dalton's not great at the one liners, and that one landed well. There was yeah. a couple other in the film that don't really land that. Oh, well. there's some there's some bad ones. There's some ones that I just like could not handle. Um, yeah. But yeah, so they they after after that sort of big climax, there's another second climax where like Bond goes to with the help of Felix Leiter goes to Whitaker's like headquarters and kills him by dropping or I guess detonating the base of a statue of like Wellington that like destroys Whitaker's life and crushes him and then yeah Koskov which is a really is, anticlimactic death for oh, Whitaker oh totally anticlimactic and then Koskov who you know he's, he's still alive he's there tries to get still skeezing he tries to like sleaze his way out of it but then Pushkin who appears is like no 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 you're, you're, you're going back to Russia in the diplomatic bag yeah it's a really great moment where at first he's fooling Koskov he's like well Put you on the first plane back to Moscow, and Koskov's like, "Oh, thank you, thank you, Pushkin," and he's like, "In the diplomatic bag." The diplomatic bag. But yeah, what what you what do you think? That's of, pretty much the end of the film. Yeah, what do you think of uh, the Living Daylights, nineteen eighty seven, Alan? Well, you know, like I said, um, the whole Afghanistan sequence really drags for me, and like like you said, it really makes the two and two hour ten minute ish runtime feel like two hours and ten minutes rather yeah. than like something more tight and packed. I think it's actually a completely unnecessary scene that really makes the film significantly worse because I do think it's also sort of tonally closer to Roger Moore. And yeah. that is related to the fact that like this film actually, they didn't know Dalton was going to play Bond until six weeks before photography for the film started because that's, that's, that's Rosman had actually shit. accepted the role and his agent in a really, really terrible PR move announced that he had accepted the role role to play Bond in the next film, which would be The Living Daylights, before his option for uh, an extra season with NBC's uh, Remington Steel expired. So, of course, he gets all this press. He's the new Bond. He's famous. He's huge now. Of course, NBC is going to take the option and do another season of Remington Steel. And as soon as they took that option with his contract and he couldn't get out of it, basically the Broccoli's called up NBC and called up Brosnan's agent and were like, hey, we, if you're going to be doing this TV show, we don't want you doing Bond. Um, and so he got pulled out of the role last minute. Timothy Dalton got it who they had actually looked at doing... He actually was initially supposed to play Bond after Sean Connery. He would have been so young. It would have been weird. And that's exactly why he didn't take it, actually, because he was too young. He was about 26 at the time, I think. And so he ended up doing this, and you can tell in the script that it wasn't written for him because he's a very dramatic actor. He's like a Shakespearean actor. He's a serious actor, and that's why uh, License to Kill is so dark and serious. And in this film, you can just tell, like, you know, the Afghanistan sequence doesn't really belong. It actually doesn't even need to be in the film because, like, when you think about, like, 
spatially where they go. Before they go to Afghanistan, they're in Tangiers. They get captured, then they're in Afghanistan, then they go back to Tangier. Yeah. Like, they could have just gotten captured in Tangier and never had to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. And just, like, fought their way out in Tangier. It's completely pointless. It was just a way to insert the Mujahideen and make something, I guess, like, topical and then also bring in the drug trade. But it's just, like, over overpacking plot into the film. And it's, in my opinion, the biggest weakness of the film yeah. is that overpacking of the plot. Oh, yeah, no, it, it's totally unnecessary. Um, what, I, what, I, what I found very funny about this film is it's, it's like you, you kind of touch on this with like uh, Timothy Dalton's dramatic background, but it, it does feel like it's stuck between two worlds. When I was watching this and I was like, oh, yeah, this like there's a lot of parts in this film that really do feel like a Roger Moore Bond film. Mm hmm. Especially and, the deleted magic carpet scene I sent you. Yeah, yeah, which that, I wish that was, like, in the final cut, but it's really funny. And it, yeah, it's right. the classic, like, the guys, like, smoking, I guess, like, hash or something. Like, or opium, who knows? Or opium doing, like, a, instead of, like, the wine guy doing a double take, it's, it's like, the opium guy's doing a double take, and they're like, oh, this, sh yeah. uh, this shit's really strong, you know? <laughs> Well, that's also funny because there's the character in that deleted scene who's like the the like Arabic J.W. Pepper. Yeah, who gets covered who in gets, carpet dye. Yeah, he gets thrown into a, a vat of carpet dye is how they uh, deal with that character. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, the film does have some like weird tonal issues related to like the fact they didn't really know who they were writing it for. Yeah, and um, it, I, I do I, think Dalton gives a good performance. He does, he does. But there are moments where he is trying to be quite serious and quite dark, but then there's just a bunch of others. Like, there's the whole fucking like there's the scene where he like they sled or toboggan inside, inside a cello the, case uh, across the Austrian mm -hmm. border and the <laughs> and the, the the cello gets shot by one of the by, by one of the baddies chasing them yeah that's a funny scene um it there's, is very there's a good there's a good though. there's a good foley sound when the cello gets shot yeah yeah there's also the funny thing where he like hands the passport to Miriam Dabo and as they slide past the uh, border guards they just like flash the passport to the border Guards as but it's like it's like case. two people crossing the border. It's like you can't do that. You can't. <laughs> no, it's really funny though. Uh, but it's it's very stupid. It, it doesn't. It's cool though. He's got that really sick Aston Martin in that scene at the start of it before yeah. they get into the the cello uh, case. But they've got a really the Aston Martin is very cool. It's a great gadget. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll we we've kind of forgotten our, our normal criteria, but we should probably uh, discuss uh, all the different things. Yeah. I guess you, do you want to start with gadgets? Oh, yeah, since we're on the gadgets. So there's the teaser plane at the beginning. I don't know if that really counts. There's Timothy Dalton uses the parachute during that scene. So he's got his parachute. That's a gadget yeah. he starts with. There's the sniper rifle, which is a Walther WA-2000. Oh, yeah, that's there's you his, can use that in uh, Hitman. I'm pretty sure that one of the Hitman games. Can you? Okay. Yeah. There's the, there's the night vision goggles that Saunders uses, but he like doesn't know how to use them, which is very funny. Uh, I, I find that character actually quite funny, the one who's like the agent who's really concerned with getting his credit, but he's also totally incompetent and Bond yeah. is just showing him <laughs> up constantly. There's the um, the pipeline gas thing that they send Koskov to the West End from the Czech Republic. Yep. There's, what else? The Ghetto Blaster, one of the best gadgets. In ah, good! Something we're making for the Americans. It's 
called a ghetto blaster. Yeah, so finally, like, our mutual friend. We've been waiting the whole, like, first season for that. We've been talking about, we've literally been talking about the ghetto blaster for, like, a year. And I think we both erroneously thought it was in a Brosnan film. World is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was in World Is Not Enough as well. There's the exploding key ring. Um, yeah, so that, that's like the big gadget in the film that gets used multiple times in like big dramatic moments. It can, it, it does two things. If you whistle Rule Britannia, which is fucked up, but if you wh- whistle Rule Britannia, it'll it'll stun somebody with gas, and if you do a wolf whistle, it'll explode. What happens if you whistle Rebel Sons? Um, I imagine it would deactivate. A car explodes. <laughs> the car explodes? Or a car explodes. Nice. <laughs> Uh, you get kneecapped. Um, so in Aston Martin V8, there's the scanner inside the Aston Martin V8. There's a lot of gadgets in this, actually. There's, like, the door trigger. Yeah, there's the laser. There's the laser. There's the laser that, like, bisects a car that's driving next to you. Right, yeah, the, the one, it's on the Aston Martin, it has lasers, uh, and it also has jets, and it has, like, um, stinger missiles. It's got outriggers on the tires, so it can, like, go through snow and ice and, and shit like this. Uh, it's also got spiked tires if you need it, and it has a self-destruct button as well. This car is packed full of shit. It's a crazy gadget. Uh, and it also has the scanner inside of it that lets you, like, listen to police radio and shit like that. Yeah. It's a very cool, uh, it's a very cool car. Um, no, I, unfortunately, it doesn't turn invisible, though. That's, uh... No, it does not turn invisible, <laughs> and it can't follow somebody about five feet behind them and them not notice you. Yeah. <laughs> With the, like, V8 engine on. Yeah, just the tracks in um, the snow. That's, like, one of the funniest things, honestly. Yeah, that is the best part of that. Yeah, there's, there's the bomb a lot of... that's inside of the... There's the bomb inside the opium, the, like, timer bomb. Oh, yeah, just, yeah the uh, C4. And then there's Brad Whitaker, Joe Don Baker. He's got that gun with the, like, plexiglass armor shield on it. Yeah, that was so the dumbest... The that's the dumbest scene where, like, Bond's just trying to go for the kill shot. I'm just like, fucking shoot him in this gut, man. Like, his like, whole yeah, body's him, yeah, unprotected. He's, like, not <laughs> under... He's, like, hiding behind the cover of just like yeah the thing covering his head but he's just standing in the open yeah timothy dalton just keeps shooting the plastic thing i'm just like fucking kneecap him or something like yeah like you've got a whole body to aim for buddy, and you're going just for the head come on but no i think the aston martin in my opinion and the ghetto blaster are the two best gadgets for me i don't think they're like well used in the plot i just like them you know yeah well functionally great i think the aston martin suffers that i think like you know since we've now oh yeah by the way oh no we haven't seen all the films because there's still some that made it through the first round or bypassed the first round but yeah in all these films like this is sort of like a really recurring thing where like the car is just full of gadgets and they all get used in one scene and then the car gets destroyed and that's it and that's kind of like the that's the new thing yeah that is something actually about this film that i think uh, ties into the fault that's a fault of the gadgets but it's also a fault in the plotting we talked about where this movie does seem like it just has a lot of those like stock roger moore bond moments where it's like what do we have to have you know bond has to get captured when he gets to the headquarters and he has to fight his way out of the headquarters which is the soviet sequence basically of this film there's all these sort of things that just is like uh well we do this in all the bond films so I guess we got to plug it in here where it's just you can tell it's the producers giving notes to the writers like it has to have this beat and then this beat and then this beat and it's like well it's not an inspired way to write a film uh, and that's a problem yeah. with the gadgets tired it's tired yeah not <laughs> it's very tired 
But what do you broke, think about the, not, let's say, Bond girl? Um, yeah, pretty bad. This is one of those Bond pretty girls bad, where she's it? just like, yeah, I mean, I, she looks great. Really oh, yeah, gorgeous, yeah, very gorgeous woman. Like, <laughs> top five Bond girls. She's really yeah, very like short nice. bob. Yeah, no, blonde, she looks... Blonde bob. She looks fantastic. I, I found her performance is just like in... in one one of those one of those ones where the Bond girl is just like a child basically and yeah she well, just see, keeps like sorry go oh I was just gonna say my see I at first was thinking that too I was watching the movie kind of thinking to myself like oh yeah I don't like her she's just it's kind of like Tanya Roberts in um View to a Kill where she's just yeah. along for the ride and being protected the whole time you're like but then Christmas I thought Jones. about it and I was like <laughs> yeah right and then I but then when I thought about it a little more I realized like you know it actually makes sense because she's not. A secret agent in any way and she actually does she's really only there so bond can use her to track down yeah. koskov so it does kind of fit with her character because she's and she is kind of someone somewhere yeah and she, and she is someone that has just been being used by by koskov too as well so I yeah guess and like and, and if you think about like what is what is she good at as a person well she's not good at fighting she's a cello player yeah. <laughs> she's a cellist she's, she's, and a, she's good, a really good she's cellist. a cellist with big dreams yeah and because at, at the end of the film you see her like playing as a soloist so she is an, an, a like a, an accomplished person just not in this sphere, but you even do see in one moment, like when the Mujahideen say they're not willing to go try to help Bond, she oh, yeah, grabs she an AK from one here. of them and charges off to do it for herself. So I think she is like a, a strong person, but she's just been thrown into an environment where she has no power. So I'm a little more yep. willing to like not hate on this character, maybe as I would some other ones, especially because she's not constantly screaming for James's help either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's I, my problem with that characterization was just sort of like in the first half of the film and she definitely she's superfluous yeah. in the first half. Yeah, she grows into her character sort of later on, but it's just while I was watching, I was like, oh, this is just another one of those Bond girls. It's just like... James! James! Not as bad. I think still, honestly, the biggest offense is, is the chick from uh, Man with the Golden Gun who just, like, keeps bumping the self-destruct yeah, buttons yeah. with her ass. And it's That's Miss like, Goodnight, isn't it? Yeah, is it? I don't I think that's Miss Goodnight. I, sure, I can't... Though. All their names are just like... Oh, well, I mean, we got a really good name in the next film. Oh, yeah. Strawberry Fields. Yeah. Open Anything else you want to say about Caramelovi? I think I think I think we've covered it. I mean, there's there's no other Bond girls in the. I mean, I guess there's just like the two weird CIA agents that are like one of my favorite shots in the. So like in when Bond's in Tangiers, he just gets like picked up by these two chicks in like a, a convertible. And we, we've also kind of seen this scene before. I feel happen where they just like he gets in the car and they're just like, "You want to party?" And he's like, "Yeah, I want to party." And then they just like pull a gun on him right away and they're like, "Yeah, we're taking you somewhere." And like right away, I'm like, "Oh yeah, they're taking him to Felix later." Like I didn't even know Felix. Felix was going to be in this film before this, but I'm like, yeah, these are CIA agents. They're taking it's got to be Felix. Felix. Yeah. So yeah, that's fine. They take us to Felix who like, by the way, this is like one of the worst Felixes in any movie. His vibes <laughs> are so off. He kind of sounds like uh, Tennessee from Tim and Eric. <laughs> Like Tennessee Luke I, or whatever. The really old guy, Tennessee? Like the guy with the blonde mop hair who kind of speaks like this, Okay, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know the guy you're talking about now. Yeah, this guy sounds like him. And then, like, at the end of the film, when uh, he's, like, guiding James into, like, Whitaker's uh, lair, Felix, there's just, like, a shot of, like, Felix talking to James from, like, the Felix headquarters, and those two women are just, like, standing behind him. <laughs> just, like, they're, they're, just, they're just there to just hang out with this guy all the time. It's, it's so yeah. Weird. Felix has to have his hose, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, no. That, so I think yeah, we've covered the Bond girls. Honestly, like I, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to go solo on this one. I don't. I was planning on doing this today. I forgot to do it. I do not remember what the theme song sounds like, but that's probably oh. ind- indicative of like how bad <laughs> of how good it is, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not very good. It's kind of just like weird and like um, it's very subdued. It's just like a classic. It's very '80s, you know. Uh, what I do similar. remember, what I do remember is sort of like you know the credits are rolling, but the only memory I have of it is like you know the, the opening credits are rolling, whatever, and then uh, it said like music by Aha, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's why it sounds like that. Yeah. Basically, the chorus just is like, oh, the living daylights. Okay, and that's yeah. just like the. That's it. That's the song. Um, and it's really unremarkable. Just like the John Barry score, in my opinion, is rather unremarkable for yeah. the film. So I, I did kind of like the design that Morris Binder did for the titles themselves. They were kind of nice. It was a lot less figurative and a lot less like silhouettes, I think. And I, you had more like actual people's faces involved and yeah. kind of like repetitive moments in it. That was kind of nice. And the way that he did like sort of a poetic um, repetition yeah. of the shooting of the gun and the start and everything. But it's nothing remarkable once again, just like the music that John Barry composed, the titles that Morris Minder did are kind of just standard. So I'm, I'm not particularly impressed by AHA's theme song, by Morris Binder's titles, or by Barry's score. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll, big, that'll be my, I guess we'll just accept my stance on yeah, that. Yeah, big, <laughs> big L, big L. I mean, I can definitely chip in with the score. I mean, like they're... As I said, there are a couple yeah. of moments in the film where I'm like, why the fuck is this music playing during the sequence? <laughs> like, yeah, like, no. It's, like, it's, there, it's, there are moments where it's, it's just it's like totally like there's, in that way. You know, there's totally nothing's matching up and like the score isn't like contributing to like any suspense or anything. There's just music playing over something happening and that music doesn't <laughs> It's like watching Yen's bod again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just like doing the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Well, there's just people doing things. It has no bearing on what they're doing. Yeah. Henchmen and the villain. Let's, let's talk about them. So Necros, main henchman. What did you think of him? He, I mean, this is, we've, we've seen him before. We've seen him after this film. Just like your big blonde European. Yeah. Who doesn't, yeah. doesn't really have anything special. He's just kind of. I like, thought this guy kind of had a bit of a special thing about him. He's really into like the music. I think it's like, is he listening to like Patti Smith or something through his oh, cassette? Oh, right. Yeah. He's got that. He's also a disguise guy too. Yeah. He's like, he go. So he, there's a scene where he comes in to kidnap Koskov back from the British and he goes into this old manor house that looks a lot like the manor house that David Niven's Bond lives in in Casino Royale 1967 to me <laughs> and where McTerry dies and they bury yeah. they get his toupee <laughs> I still laugh but, every time I think of the name McTerry <laughs> McTerry yeah it's really good yeah um, but anyways so yeah Necros shows up disguised as a milkman and he's like really listening to this like I think it's like Patti Smith music or something and he's like really fucking into the music he's a big fan of it and it's very funny and he likes he goes in and the milk bottles he's got in, with him uh, disgu- in his milkman disguise aren't actual milk but they're explosives and so he just like throws these milk bottles at people and they blow them up it's very fun to watch yeah so that that's it's a, a gadget scene. that's a gadget that we missed the, the yeah, ex- yeah. exploding that, milk bottles um, yeah but he, he also he, like try scene. and like he tries to garrot someone with his headphones too right yeah he does he does so he tries to garrot someone he also tries to like he's throwing like hot water like boiling water <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. in the kitchen <laughs> as he tries to fight so there's like a good kitchen fight he, he's got some fun scenes but he is overall just kind yeah. of unremarkable you know <laughs> 
just some henchman, just a blonde guy. Um, Whitaker as well. I think he's really unremarkable too. This film just suffers from a lot of like I think inertia of unremarkable script writing. Oh yeah, um, so that this is like coming I guess, from Dick Maybon. Yeah, this is getting Dick, Dick Napalm. This is getting into the <laughs> um, discussion of the villain's plan a little bit, I guess. But I, I think like this is one of those this is one of those Bond villains plans that suffers from it being written by a bad screenwriter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. it's just like it's just like overly convoluted and just like I don't know, like I just Yeah, what is his plan? His plan is to fake a defection so they can get a general out of the USSR to help with their plans to sell arms and opium to this Yeah, it's 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 it's, or it's like they they like want to like they're trying to organize arms deals with the Russians, but then before they give them the guns, they're like using that money to like buy raw opium and then turn it over and double the funds and then sell them the weapons so they're like turning like a bigger profit by like investing the like soviet money into the heroin or something like i think that's what yeah it's happening but it's just like ah oh, fuck like it, the plot ended up just like not being important and it is kind of just like he just it's really just about having like a personal vendetta for some reason <laughs> like it's yeah it's really strange i guess really when it comes down to it it's just like the core of the story is doesn't it doesn't really matter what the villain is doing what matters is that bond is actually doing espionage again because he's using Kara Malovi to track down these people. That's really what yeah. the story is about. It's about the relationship that's building between Bond and Kara Malovi. and I think that choice, because you also mentioned this is the only Bond girl in this film I've I've read, I don't know how true this is but I've read the choice to have only a single Bond girl it was related to the fact that this film was made during the AIDS crisis. Oh. So the the core of the film is very like monogamous in it, yeah. in this way, dealing with these two characters. And I think that kind of works for the dramatic uh, talents of Dalton, but it also just leads you to have these like dragging on relentless set pieces that w- we've already said a few times make the film feel longer than it should. Um, uh, what else are we missing? I think we've covered all the bases. Gadgets, Bond girls, music, titles, plan. villain, hench, uh, villain's plan, and the henchman. That's everything. That so is we can everything. Go on to Quantum. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to give a little, you know, want a little, little introduction to Quantum of Solace. Let's just, I just want to go over the film's plot real quick. It takes place in, uh, in 20, 2019, and uh, Elon Musk uh, conspires with the CIA <laughs> to, uh, to overthrow, overthrow the Bolivian government and the sort of like really kind of beautiful political project that Eva Morales had been building over like 20 years and there's sort of like a soft coup that, you know and it's just try, to try and get the, the lithium reserves to the, no actually so they this, can this film takes place in 2009 um, but has a 2008 sorry I got the date wrong yeah 2008 time. but uh, yeah very similar uh, I mean exactly kind of the it plot. feels really similar <laughs> yeah. it's actually it's, it's, it's really unfortunate actually this film has a really under early underbaked script and um, I'll talk about that before I summarize the film and give the info on it the reason for that is uh, so Neil Purvis and uh, what's his name Wade or whatever the two guys who basically have written all the Bond films from Brosnan onwards they wrote the first draft of this and then the WGA went on strike and the film had to be finished by the director Mark Foster and with input from Daniel Craig 
So this film was basically like written on set by the director and the star from Paul, an unfinished Paul, draft uh, of the Paul script. Paul Haggis was also one of the writers too. Yes, yes, sorry. So the first draft was Neil Purvis and um, Robert Wade, and then Paul Haggis did the a rewrite of that draft. And that then after that rewrite happened, the WGA went on strike. And so they just got the first draft of a rewrite and it needed more rewrites, but they didn't, they weren't writers. And so you get this kind of like hard to follow film in my opinion slightly. Yeah. So the director was Mark Foster. Like I said, written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Paul Haggis, and then the WGA strike forced uh, the director and star to more do another rewrite, basically, on set. The title sequence this time is by MK12, the only time they've ever done a title sequence. Um, that's just because Mark Foster worked with that company previously and wanted to bring them into the project. Uh, it's edited by Richard Pearson and Matt Chess, and the title song is by Alicia Keys and Jack White. Hell yeah, Detroit Detroit. <laughs> legend Jack White. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the plot of the film immediately following Casino Royale like James literally to, like an hour five following. minutes or an hour yeah. following or whatever. Like Literally just after. It's the only film of any of the Bond films that's like that. So James Bond is trying to escape pursuit with Mr. White in his trunk from the following of that film. Quantum of Solace seems James Bond and MI6 learn of the organization Quantum, which the man more or less responsible for Vesper's death at the end of Casino Royale belongs to. And while investigating Quantum in Haiti, Bond meets Camille Montez, a woman who is involved with the environmental entrepreneur Dominic Green, and Dominic happens to be a member of Quantum. Camille once is involved with him because he's uh, working with General Medrano. You want your country back. My organization can give it to you within the week. A former Bolivian dictator who killed her father and raped her mother when she was quite young. But when Bond encounters her and Green and Medrano all in the same place, he accidentally foils her attempt to kill uh, Medrano, and this sort of sets them up to have to work together later on. Bond leaves Haiti and goes to Bregan's Australia, Austria, not Australia, <laughs> where he identifies Quantum's leaders at a performance of Tosca, and he then accidentally gets a special branch member killed. Bond. You killed a man in Brigance. I did my best not to. You shot him at point blank and threw him off a roof. I'd hardly call that showing restraint. While sort of chasing down Green as they all these uh, members of Quantum are leaving the orchestra. I mean, I, th- I think they head down to. That's that's because like one one of the special. I mean, like the special branch guy is like protecting some British politician who is in quantum. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) But they head down to Bolivia where they're um, then intercepted. Well, Bond goes and finds Mathis after this because M cancels all his cards for killing the special branch member. So he can't do anything. And he finds Mathis because Mathis can get him all that sort of shit. Yeah, a French, Mathis Mathis is a French police police chief with a Scotch accent. Yeah, and it really worries us. (laughs) But so they head down to Bolivia together, and they're immediately intercepted after getting off the plane by the MI6 agent Strawberry Fields, the first, or I guess the second Bond girl in this film. And she orders them back to London, but Bond seduces her and convinces her to help them surveil a party that Green is hosting that evening, since the next plane to London isn't the next day anyways. Uh, after the party, Mathis is shot and killed by some corrupt cops who are on quantum pay, and Fields is drowned in oil. Camille and Bond then learn of Green and Quantum's plan to reinstate General Madrona, 
now and exploit his government, which the CIA has actually um, agreed to support in return for some oil through Quantum's acquisition of land. Uh, the land that Quantum would get by bringing um, Madrano back to power, turns out that it actually contains pretty much all of the country's fresh water supply. So he would be the sole utilities provider to the government and charging exorbitant fees. So that's how Quantum plans to sort of make their money back for doing this coup. Bon and Camille follow Green and Madrano to La Perla de las Dunas on a tip-off from Felix Leiter who is helping them out because he thinks the CIA is wrong on this one. He's a good guy, this lighter. He doesn't and like his boss. The desert, who's the, yeah, his boss is a real fucking... He's, like, he's, a, he's a dickhead nerd who's like played by the cop from Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like he's got the bad. He's got a bad mustache. Yeah, David. David. Haircut. David Harbor is. I know a lot of people are, are you know saying that David Harbor is daddy or whatever, but he's definitely not daddy in this film. He's just a fucking like Ned Flanders. Oh, he, that's exactly like, who he looks like is Ned yeah. Flanders. So then at this hotel in the desert, uh, Camille kills Medrano and Bond captures Green, who he then decides to just leave out in the middle of the desert with only a can of motor oil, implying that he would eventually choose to drink it and kill himself rather than die in the desert slowly. Bond asks Camille if she feels vindicated for killing Madrano, and she reveals that her revenge has culminated in a sort of hollow emotional state, and also a lack of purpose, because this has been her whole life up until this point. Yeah. Um, that kind of puts Bond's own desire for revenge into perspective, and when at the very end of the film he's given the opportunity to kill the man who betrayed Vesper, he decides to place him in MI6 custody instead. And yeah. that's like Bond finding his quantum of solace at the end of the film, which is a kind of interesting poetic moment. Um, but it does feel sort of just tacked on. Yeah. What did you think about the movie overall? I, I found it had, it was interesting in a couple aspects. Um, definitely, like, I find the, the politics are kind of, I, I kind of found it funny, like, how much they implicated the CIA into, like, just yeah being very bad. <laughs> you know, I was just wondering what South America would look like if nobody gave a damn about cocoa communism. It would impress me the way you boys carved this place up. I'll take that as a compliment coming from a Brit. <laughs> yeah, that Ned Flanders line, he's like, I think Felix Leiter says to Ned Flanders, uh, he says, I don't like that guy, talking about Dominic Green's company, basically. And Ned Flanders is like, what, you only want us to work with nice people or something? Yeah. Is, is like big, corny, evil American line. So yeah, it's kind of showing like the ruthlessness, I guess, of like, I don't know, just how... The US will work with anybody. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that was kind of interesting to see from like one of these Bond films, which like, obviously like this isn't like, nothing, nothing that, this is like the die another day thing where it's like nothing is like ideal and I, so just a follow up to that actually like I, I found like on Letterboxd a lot of people were criticizing die another day for their uh, it's like perspective on North Korea <laughs> Like it's, it's it's too nice to the North Koreans or something. No, or? no, that it's no. It was just all these like sort of commie scolds just being like, oh, this. And it's like, what do you, what the fuck do you expect? Like, what do you want from a Bond movie? Like in the yeah, context like of that, this is like great. criticizing James Bond for being imperialist is <laughs> yeah. like kind of stupid. It's like no, you like I don't know. Die Another Day is a real gem in. It's a diamond in the rough of like representation of like North Korea. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's like there's a couple bad North Koreans, but it, it portrays them overall. Like, was just like where it's just like a, a much more like nuanced look, and like it, 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 so this thing too, like it's just nice to see, like because now we're just inundated with all these fucking shows about like CIA agents doing shit in Venezuela or whatever. You know, like we have the whole. And it's awful, nice to see them bad again, right? Yeah, Instead no, fucking I mean, what's his name, Jim from the Office. Jim from the Office, just like Tom Clancy's yeah. Jack Ryan and fucking up Venezuelans because they're evil socialists or whatever. 
Miller. Yeah, no, so that was, that was uh, it, it, I sort of liked that about the film. I liked that because I find with like a lot of the recent Craig ones, you're just like, the film's just like all lore and it's just like really just diving deep into the lore. And it was kind of nice to see like tying it in to Casino Royale, but then also just like a mostly standalone Bond film where he like, he does cool shit and he fucks. And it's like, he, fight, he, he fights a lot in this movie. He fights a lot. It's like set piece after set piece, which none of them were that great, but it's, it's just like, it's sort of like a more classic Bond thing where he's just like trying to like womanize and stuff. And it's just like, you don't, you don't see that with the later, the later Craig ones where he, he they, they're, I guess trying to redeem the, <laughs> the character, but it's just yeah, like after being like, after being like uh, Bond poisoned, like we are, I just like, I don't know. I, I, I just want to see the classic <laughs> Bond shit. You know, this is, I don't, I don't, I don't want woke Bond anymore. I'm tired of woke Bond. You know? Um, Damn PC Bond. Yeah. So this, yeah. I yeah. Mean, my like, thoughts on the film is like, overall it's, it's sloppy. It's, but it's serviceable. I would say sloppy, but serviceable. Yeah. Um, I found uh, I don't my, like, my one issue with like a lot of the action is I found it, it, it suffers from like that 2000s thing, which it's kind of being like the editing. Yeah. So the action editing. Cause I was going to just start to yeah. talk about how I hate it's, the editing. It just has like incomprehensible action sequences where you just like can't tell what's going on. And it's like, yeah, like at, at the start, you don't know who's in what car even yeah. because it's so poorly edited. You're like, yeah. I don't know who's driving what. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shit like that. Uh, yeah. And also, I don't like the way the film uses establishing shots. Um, it's really weird the way the, the so I would argue that the like the typical way a Bond film sort of establishes a location is, you know, you have your big, massive, extreme long shot for your establishing what city you're in when you go from location to location in a Bond movie. And the subsequent shot following that is typically Bond in another long shot but now in a smaller scene of that environment that sort of spatially orients you. So you yeah. have like the one shot that gives you, here's your location. And then your next shot is your spatial orientation of the environment that Bond is in showing Bond in the environment, which is just standard, I think, Hollywood method right there. But this film really loves to give like cool marketing style montages of different parts of the locations. Yeah. <laughs> um, like they show up at the party and before you ever see Bond or Strawberry Fields or Mathis at the party, or even their car pulling up to the party, you just have like all these sort of like panning, floating, almost drone looking shots. They're obviously not drone shots. This is way before the drone shots were being in use, but it has that sort of quality of like almost a travelogue of just like, look at this cool bar and look at yeah. all these people hanging out in the bar and look at these close-ups of the drinks being made or something, or look at this open sign. Yes. It's like, it's and like a sponsored, it a car uh, up. it's like a sponsored story that pops into your stories feed on Instagram of like the trendy bar. It, in like what the downtown of whatever city you're in. You know? Yeah, it's like come drink at whatever in the plateau is what it feels like you're watching. Come come um, drink at the, the place where the Bolivian police shove you into the trunk of a car. Exactly. And um, because they don't really include Bond in those shots and do these sorts of things, it, it feels really weird when you're establishing these locations and it actually makes you feel less sure about the like space and, and what it looks like and how, how people operate inside of it. So you feel less grounded and that of course ties back into the action editing where you can't tell what's happening because you aren't grounded in the space. Um, so I think the editing in this film is terrible. But let's move on to the other like actual criteria we talk about. Um, what did you think about the gadgets in this film? I don't even remember like I what is what's a gadgets. gadget in this movie? There's the earpiece when they're at the orchestra. Oh, there's like uses. there's like the uh, the tr the uh, business card. <laughs> the business card that he like 
I, I guess the guy like calls the number on the business card and then it automatically like tracks his phone or something. Yeah, well, so he really only has two gadgets in this film, I would say, which is that yeah. that earpiece that the quantum members use it use, and he uses one of them as well. Um, oh, I mean, all, there's all the phone. shit. There's all the shit Sony. in the MI6 headquarters where that's they true. have like the, they have like the glass table that you can just like it's like the most insane touchscreen technology you've ever seen and it's like they they put like the banknotes on it and then it's telling you the history of like the banknotes to try and figure out like where the banknotes are from and right yeah that's a pretty that's a, I guess that's a gadget and then there's the Sony Ericsson C I don't know the model it's got like a built-in identification like software thing on it yeah it can come it can make a composite facial image of suspects um, and it can receive information regarding the suspects that it's identifying and stuff. Yeah. But it, um, yeah, those are really the only two gadgets in the film. There's really not much going on gadget wise. No, it's not, it's not a big gadget related film. But I don't particularly mind that because I don't think this movie really needs it. This movie's more interested in establishing Daniel Craig, I think, um, as an agent who has a physical presence and dealing with the whole thematic of him being described as a sort of blunt instrument yeah. by Ian Fleming. So he's coming in and he's just doing things with his hands in this movie. I mean, he does, like, yeah, he's he's got some really great sequences of just, like, smashing into things. <laughs> I guess we'll go on to the uh, the opening titles and the, the, the music there. This song is about as unremarkable in my opinion, as the AHA song. What's funny is I actually remembered this song from Yeah, like, see, I, years I can ago. remember this song too, but I don't like this song. Yeah, no, it, it's a bit it's a bit weird. Um, I think I, I like what's really funny is I uh, had a like a Mandela effect thing of uh, or Mandala effect? Is it, It's not Nelson it's, Mandela, uh, it's Mandala, right? Was, I, I had a false memory of like Jack White being in the opening titles like playing the guitar so <laughs> with, with one of his like big, <laughs> playing the guitar hats like no he's not unfortunately it's just got like daniel craig it's got I, some I, desert stuff. i didn't it's even got, spot like, any sort of women atlas. i didn't spot any there's women some, in it there's like almost there are, women yeah they, well they're like it's just like see well because the whole thing is animated by mk12 and it looks nice i think i think it's a fine looking title sequence but yeah the font the font is uh, particularly nice in this one. Like it's the same Bond yeah. font, but there's just something about it that looks really good. Although what I what I didn't good. like was when they, they go to a new location, they have like oh my god, dude, terrible. The fucking they, like see <laughs> when they're in Siena, Italy, it's like all cursive. When when they're in Bergenz, Austria, it's like this weird like uh, futurist like uh, yeah, like yeah. but early the 20th changing, century like futurist thing, changing like, typefaces for all yeah. the different locations. I thought the Siena, Italy one kind of looked like papyrus or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think those the, the different location titles I thought looked really shitty. Yeah, it was a uh, bad aesthetic touch. Yeah, but I did like the title sequence. I didn't like the title sequence song. Yeah. Um, I, I think the song is equally as whatever um, as this the title theme to Living Daylights, but I do think the actual intertitles designed by MK12 are better than Morris Binder's intertitles for Living Daylights. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the Bond girl in the film? So I, I kind of like... I mean, I think, you know, this is like one of the... Usually when you're dealing with like the more competent uh, Bond girls in the Bond universe, it's because they... I mean, there's some kind of like professional in espionage, but they, they also have some sort of like personal revenge. This is one of those... They almost you know, always do yeah yeah and she's What's, like what, she's trying uh, to use matsu for your eyes only yeah yeah for your eyes only and like uh quantum lay do as well yeah so i mean like olga olga kurilenko also like you know a dime like 
<laughs> marry him. Marry him. Uh, well, in Strawberry yeah. Fields as well. I mean, both. In I know they, this. Everyone looks fucking great in this movie. Like, but yeah, no, just, like, o- only the most attractive people for these two pictures. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Olga Kurilenko, just a beautiful woman. Um, I could like, yeah. On the, I I don't know if you're ever like really drawn into her her story or anything, but I ultimately I don't she's, think you are. She's kind of like used as a device to sort of like so Bond learns more. He he doesn't have sex with her, and through that he learns about his own trauma. You know, um, which is actually quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a nice touch. I mean, it's if this was a they Roger kiss. Moore film, they would have like slept together, and then uh, Judy Dench would have like tried calling them and seen them having sex on like a video call or something. And been like, oh, that's exactly like, what would have happened. Yeah, there's a there's a funny quote I read about Olga Kurilenko about her character in this film and the relationship with Bond because she likes that she does she never sleeps with Bond. She liked that about the character. Yeah. And she mentioned like, uh, because he was a good boy, we gave him a kiss. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. So he just gets a kiss in this film from her, but he does sleep with, uh, he does Strawberry sleep with Fields. Strawberry Fields. And so when I remembered her as sort of just being like total, like cannon fodder, like the secondary Bond girls often are. Yeah. And well, she, she is, is cannon she is cannon fodder, but I kind of like the direction that they go with this, where this is sort of like the, uh, this is the, uh, reflection these are the reflexive Bond films where it's like they address her cannon fodder kind of and just like yeah that was the whole they're just like you know this is, is yeah, so she's there's killed. a throwaway yeah. line where because uh, Matthew Amarik or whatever no not him that's actually during the fight at the end when Bond thinks Olga Kurilenko has been killed Matthew Amarik has a line Dominic Green says like oh you've lost another one haven't you and that's basically how he, what he gets told by yeah. Judy Dench when well yeah who's just like you know this was like a desk she was like an office worker like that we put out on assignment and like just look what you've done to this person by like wrapping them up in your web of violence you know yeah, Judinch is like, you know, we sent her down here just to bring you back. She's just, she just sits at a desk and you yeah. got her killed. Which is a nice way to like, it's, you know, but I, I don't know. Like, I like it, but also it's a little heavy handed because I feel like yeah. we've already, like, that's <laughs> that's the whole point of Vesper, right? Like, in a way is if you, I guess, I don't know. It's hard to, hard to say. Like, this is just being beat over the head, in my opinion. I mean, that's, student. that's the problem with like, the, I, I, that's the problem with the vibe with a lot of these, these Craig films I find where it's like, yeah, they're trying to do like the reflexive bond, but it, they're just really heavy handed with it and there's like no subtlety and it's sort of like yeah not, they're just like, screaming in it's your not face. leaving it up to like for the viewer to decide they're just like telling you like no 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 they, this is he's bad because of these reasons and not sort of like you know yeah leaving there's you very little nuance that you can, to like, it yeah no there's no nuance at all and that's actually something i didn't like about miss fields's like portrayal well i do like that she's dressed at first to go to the porno theater just trench coat and boots that's it yeah very nice and you can't tell if she's wearing anything under it i was like oh cool she's in the trench coat crowd She's heading down to 42nd Street. We're seeing Deep Throat at the premiere. Yeah, so I'm not really comfortable, actually, with how she's disposed uh, because of, it just feels like, you know, we wrote her in just to kill her off. And I never yeah. like when you do that with characters, and especially worse when you do it with a character who's just like eye candy yeah. and, you know, there to, like, have a bit of eroticism. Terrible. Not the and best. They, they, they also, yeah. but that's that's one of the, she's used in one of, what I liked about this film is there were, like, a couple of, like, subtle throwbacks to the old Bond stuff. Um, like, 
when he's dangling that guy off the roof, and it's the same motion oh, where he like goes for yeah, the tie yeah. and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, that's the that's from from the, Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, that's yeah. From Spy Who Loved Me. That was tight. But then also, and he's done, he does the same thing. Slaps slaps it off, and he falls. Yeah. I think Brosnan. There's a scene with Brosnan doing that to somebody too. Yeah. So the the, uh, the other throwback. I mean, this is obviously the more heavy handed throwback, but it's like like the, right, the, the right, gold right. the gold finger you... throwback where she's like I love painted in oil. Gold. <laughs> yeah, she's she's painted in oil, folks. What I, what I so I I don't think we ever talked about this, but I, I I what comes to my mind more than like the ladies being painted in gold or sorry the woman painted in gold in the. Uh, Goldfinger is that like just throwaway gag in Casino Royale 67 during like the casino melee when they like break down like someone breaks down the like two-way mirror and behind it is just like this guy with like three naked women and he's like painting them gold and they all just like run <laughs> off or something. That's pretty good. Yeah. What did you think of the villain? I think that's the last thing we have to talk about, right? We did uh, we did Yeah, gadgets, is there a henchman? Did... Oh yeah, there is a henchman in this film but he does nothing except have a bolt. Yeah, he's just like a weird looking British dude with a bad mod haircut. And he doesn't seem to be like, yeah, he looks like he's in the the the, uh, the mod band The Jam, but he doesn't really do anything. Like, he's not he physically do imposing. I, he aims a gun at one point and then just gets murked by like a exploding uh, like nitrogen tank or something. <laughs> that's that's about it, yeah. I mean, that's I guess like Medrano, you could say he's sort of a henchman, but I wouldn't really consider him a henchman. He's more of just like a person being duped. I mean, you know, and he's not really is... threatening either. Like, you just know he's going to get killed by Olga Kurilenko at the end. Yeah. So he's his his whole general Madrano. He's he's uninteresting. Uh, yeah, um, Mattia Melvick's character, like, I, it's this this is a real like of its time villains plot of just doing like environmental crimes. You know. Um, yeah. Right. I think the film's kind of trying to be like a bit woke on like uh, sort of like water resources and like water control, which is a big thing, issue. In and it's also trying to be world, a bit, you know, but yeah, it's being woke on that. But it's also being it's trying to have a sort of interesting, nuanced sort of look at American foreign policy in Latin America as well, where but it is giving you this sort of false idea of like not everybody in the CIA likes this because Felix Leiter doesn't like it when realistically yeah. everybody in the CIA would be down. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think we're 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 you know in in a few minutes when we we sort of have the the deliberation between these two films. I think we're facing a problem of uh, both these films just being kind of like real mid tier Bond entries, where it's like there's no. Yeah, they're both they're both serviceable, but they're also both quite flat. Yeah, I, like I, I I'm just like a, at a lack, especially with this one. Like I kind of enjoyed it while I was watching it. Like a lot of why I enjoyed it too is that it is the shortest Bond movie and it has like a really nice tight hour forty six runtime, which like at the end of it yeah, i was I like just, man if i was watching no time i to wish die, they were all like this yeah if i was watching no time to die i'd have to watch another hour that's brutal yeah that's like true. isn't that insane well, like it is insane there's no reason for a bond movie to be almost three hours long i don't know it's like i will say i don't i didn't have as much of a i don't think i probably had as good of a time watching quantum as you did because something i also because the editing really really bothered me first off like every time we moved locations, I felt like I was just frustrated because whoever edited this film was doing yeah. stupid things to uh, me. Oh yeah, because it ends um, in uh, it ends in uh, Russia. Kazan, yeah, it ends in Kazan, Russia, or Kazan. Um, and then it's also got like really. I think this movie is really poorly lit. I don't know if you. 
Oh, the like, color. Had that, any I mean, I think. On that? Yeah, I, well, I, think, I think there's a lot of like uh, bad color correcting going on too. Yeah, well, know? there's bad color correcting, and then there's the fact that like it looks like the whole movie was shot really, really high key. Everything's super blown out. Like there's no mood because everything is just like you're blasting as many possible lights onto the set as you can yeah. at all times. I thought it looked really bad, and I thought it was edited really poorly, and that provided like like you know, sure, I got I got an hour forty or an hour. 35 into Living Daylights and started to get bored when they hit Afghanistan and then, you know, had 30 minutes of boredom till the end of the film. But up until that point, I was having a good time. Yeah. And in this film, I just found myself, like, every few minutes getting frustrated about something else and then having other moments where I'm like, oh, well, that was really nice and I liked that. But then, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm watching something that I think, God, I can't stand how this looks. But I guess we can just put I, up, you know, criteria by criteria in whichever film maybe beat out. I mean, honestly, like, I think we'll I through. think I can see where this is going. I think we can just start start deliberations because I, I mean, like, I, I think we covered everything for Quantum, and I'm just, like, at a lack of finding anything really remarkable to talk about. About either of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> is really my issue. Um, I, I, so, but if we get down to it, I guess, song for song for the for the title theme, which, if I had to listen to one of the two, I'd probably listen to the Jack White and Alicia Keys. Yes, yes, I can, I can vouch for, I can, yes. <laughs> All right, so that one wins out there. Title sequences, though. And then the title sequence, I actually think the MK12 title sequence is better. It is better. It is better. So, so one theme for there. This is titles. Folks, folks, two the, points. Folks, this is a penalty shootout right now. Yeah, this is a proper penalty shootout. Because actually, these are actually, these are honestly quite close. Like, both of these films are fine. Not great, but they're fine. Um, yeah. So that's two. Two to Quantum. But then, I guess Bond Girl Quantum wins out as well, huh? But then I don't know, because Strawberry Fields is so bad that it's just... It makes... It almost brings Olga Kurilenko down to the level of Miriam Dabo uh, by having such a bad portrayal of Strawberry Fields yeah. in the film. So, I don't know. Bond Girls for me are tied. So that's, I think, we'll I think, I think it's... One to, it we'll is, give one to eat. Yeah, so no, that is... Three to that, one now. Yeah, that is not... Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a tie there. So that's three... So we'll do three to one. Quantum is, is winning. Uh, we got Henchman's Plan. I guess Quantum actually has the better Henchman's Plan, too. Or the Villain's Plan. Because the Villain's Plan in Living Daylights, for me, is really unremarkable. And yeah, oh, yeah, like no, it's... Kind it's of, like, comically... Like, it's bad. Like, Jodon Baker isn't very threatening whatsoever. And at least, like, Matthew Almerick, he might be not a good physical presence, but he is a good... Um, kind of fun wormy piece of shit yeah no it's it's he's definitely like a koskov is kind of he's he's a nice sleazeball you know oh, he's really good that's true yeah he is, he's, he's really, really good he's Whitt- really i think Whitt- whitaker, whitaker is just like uh so unremarkable and bland yeah and just like really not a f- like he doesn't really affect anything in the plot until you know the end that's true as well so what do you say you say dominic green is the better villain i i guess but i was also kind of so four to one you know what I, I i said but we're talking about the plan i guess all right yeah dominic green all right but Vinch, henchmen point to living daylights necros absolutely yeah so that's we got four to two now i don't four think to two. Living it's daylights gonna be i'm gonna ahead. tell you it's four to three right now with the gadgets though i agree i agree well here's the other thing I find that just like on a base level of the performance of the Bond in the film, I think I like Dalton's performance better in Living Daylights than I like Greg's performance in Quantum. I don't know if we're going to give a point for that, though. 
because if we do, that ties it up. <laughs> if not, we've got a four or three. Yeah, but I, I feel dirty sending Quantum through, though. You feel dirty sending Quantum through just yeah. because of how flawed it is? Yeah. I mean, they're both flawed, though. See, I, I, I do, know, too. I... Like, part of me wants Living Daylights to go through, but they're just so equal, you know? Should we get a tiebreaker on this? Should we call someone? I think we should flip a coin again. Flip a coin again? Keep it consistent? I think we should keep it consistent. All right, I'll grab a coin. I've got one right next to me. So first one. Heads, heads is what, tails is what? What are we saying? Heads, living daylights, tails, quantum. Quantum. Okay, so the first one was heads. I just flipped okay. that. All right. So that's one for living daylights. Tails. Oh my so God. This, this, is, decides this is down it. to the wire. This, this is pure penalty shootout. Yeah. Heads, living daylights goes through. I, I feel not terrible about I'm, that. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I honestly would feel more guilty sending, sending Quantum through just because I think the way it looks and the, the problems with the script are maybe worse. They're more, they're less, it's more convoluted in some ways. Um, it just doesn't feel like a real movie in some parts, you know? <laughs> it feels like a movie made for a streaming service. Yeah, it feels, like an, Amazon, it feels like an Amazon show. And it's just, yeah. especially like there's a lot of like digital stuff happening with the, like really bad digital stuff happening with like a lot of the special effects in it where like any sort of like explosion that someone's in or like anything moving around it just looks really fake like when he's doing that whole yeah. like face off with the guy when he's like uh, swinging around the like uh, uh, the like uh, the scaffolding that they're using to like replace the windows oh that whole chapel. scene looks terrible yeah. and it's just like you can't tell what's happening and everything is being done in front of a it green screen fake. I'm like yeah this isn't yeah. good like <laughs> It's like watching a Marvel movie in that respect. Like, a it lot is. of the action in those Marvel movies is really difficult to follow. Oh, yeah, no, this movie looks like a Marvel movie. Well, uh, folks, there there we go. Living Daylights goes through. Sorry to Quantum of Solace. I, I wanted to kind of redeem Quantum because I don't... I think it gets a lot more hate than it deserves. I definitely. Um, well, I, I feel like, I feel like honestly, like, you know, if this was paired up against uh, Spectre, uh, <laughs> Quantum would go through. Yeah, Qu Quantum would probably go through. Or if it was paired up against Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so Living Daylights goes through. So that's our whole first round of the tournament done. Now, round two starting up, we're finally getting to 2006 Casino Royale, what is, many consider the best Bond film of all time. Yeah, uh, and it is, it, it's facing, people. is it facing off Man with the Golden Gun? <laughs> it is. I can't believe we have to watch that again. That's, that's brutal. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, let's not, let's not count our eggs before they've hatched right yeah maybe we'll maybe 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 hatched, maybe right? maybe, on, uh, maybe on like uh, reviewing uh, or rewatching it casino royale is just like trash yeah maybe we'll see i mean maybe we'll watch the parkour scene and be like god that's so outdated yeah Oof, that's i'm cringing i'm cringing at the cringing parkour. at the parkour and then, and then maybe we'll, you'll be like really i don't know if you have too much to drink before you watch man with a golden gun or maybe you like smoke a little or something you'll have a really good time and it'll go through and you'll be like wow i can't i can't imagine it's my favorite film. I can't Nick imagine. Matt. He's so good. You know what? I was just gonna say I can't imagine a world like where being high would affect my enjoyment of that film in a positive way. But honestly, I think it might. So you know, maybe to make the experience uh, yeah, more enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Irv Vilches fan, so I'm, it'll go through. Irv right? I love Vilches. I, I love the man. 
<laughs> You're smoking that herb vilches. The herb vilches. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Um, this was Bond Pilled. Our next episode, like I said, Casino Royale versus Man with a Golden Gun. We are finally through our first round. Big moment. Remember, if you want to follow our bracket, it's on challenge.com slash bondpilled. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Stitcher. We would really appreciate if you would go review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. I don't think we have any reviews. We have some ratings, but no reviews. Reviews are what matter. Yeah. Um, please, it doesn't take long to do. Uh, it would be really helpful for us. And if you want to send us an email, you can do that. It is bondpilled at gmail.com. Last time we got an email was, uh, I guess, one episode ago, but that was six weeks ago. We'd love to get another email. It was really fun reading Kyle's, and we'd love to do it again. So please contact us if you have any questions or any ideas or just something to say or, you, you know, anything like that um, that might be of note or fun. And once again, we were bond pilled, and it was very um, fun getting through this first round, honestly. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's been great revisiting a lot of these films. Uh, and I'm looking forward to catching, like, the, the four that we've missed and uh, going, starting to go a bit crazy by rewatching some of these films. Uh, I absolutely am going very yeah. crazy. I, like, sitting down to watch these this week, I was like, jeez, man, no. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have we have more fun times to look forward to with... Uh, yeah. yeah. All right, well, great, great seeing you. Thanks, thanks for tuning in, people. Stay bond-pilled. Peace out. Peace <laughs> out.